0: Hee! <laughs>
1: A show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This
2: week on the Tech Night Out Live, we'll be featuring the iTunes guy, Kirk McElhern, who will explain whether Apple is doing too much too fast. We'll hear from Square Trade where they did their own bendability tests. And SquareTrade, by the way, provides a lot of those extended warranties. So we have to see what they determined. And we'll also hear from Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine on Windows 10. All this and more on the Tech Night Out Live. Yeah! Kirk, it seems like almost yesterday since I had you on the show, but so much has happened that we needed to bring you back post-haste.
3: It does seem like it was yesterday. I think it was just last week, actually, wasn't it?
2: I think it was two weeks ago.
3: Okay. But you see, time flies when you get very... Time flies. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had a lot of news in the past couple of weeks, haven't we? We've had new iPhones released. We've had iOS 8 and and an update. And we've had the gold master to Yosemite. Well, the gold master candidate, which is kind of an interesting term, Um, but it's been a very busy week. In fact, traditionally in the past few years, this has been the busiest time for the Apple press industry because... Apple comes out with new iPhones in the fall. With a couple of exceptions, OS X has been a fall release, and there's always a new iOS when there's new iPhones. So, yeah, it's a busy period, September, October. The company's trying to get all of its ducks in a row for the Christmas season, although I think people are going to buy iPhones whether it's Christmas or not.
2: Well, we have to also see if those ducks are quacking or not. And let's get to the specifics. Now, when you were on here last on our September 21st show... You mentioned that you had bought an unlocked iPhone 6. I had. And you told us about some of your experiences with it. But now you wrote an article for Macworld saying you were thinking about whether or not to return that phone. And we'll get into the reasons in a moment. And then at your site, Kirkville, your blog, you explained what your decision was. But before we talk about the decision, let's talk about the process. So... This is part two of our discussion of Kirk's iPhone 6. What issues did you have that made you even consider just trying to sending it back?
3: Well, it's really just one issue. It's the size. I think a, a phone is a very personal device. It's something we carry with us all the time. It's something we hold in our hands a lot, even if, I, I don't know about you, but I don't use my iPhone as a phone more than 1% of the time you know, to make calls or, or send texts. People um, actually it,
2: do that anymore? Do they people do?
3: They ensure? do. I actually had a phone call with someone yesterday for about an hour on my iPhone. Today I actually checked. So I have a SIM only contract because I've always been been buying unlocked phones and the date it starts is the 2nd of the month. So every month I go into the settings, settings, cellular usage and I reset the statistics of my data usage. And when I looked on that screen today, it said that the lifetime use of this phone for, for phone talking and lifetime, it means since iOS 8, was seven hours, 37 minutes. Now, I installed iOS 8 when the Golden Master came out. So that was about 10 days, two weeks before the official release. So that's how much I've used the phone. And that includes a couple of very long phone calls. One was an hour yesterday. Another one a week ago it's about two hours. You know, I don't usually make a lot of calls that long. The main problem for me was the size. I'm used to holding a phone in one hand. I'm used to using it one-handed. I couldn't do that with the iPhone six. It's a beautiful phone. The display is really nice. I don't really care that it's thinner. That's just for marketing. If they can make it a little bit thinner, they do, but that's not a big deal. But I'm holding my iPhone 5s in my hand right now, and I can hold it comfortably firmly and operate it with one hand. My thumb can reach the top left corner and the bottom right corner without me feeling that I might not be holding the phone firmly enough to prevent it from dropping. If I Someone bumps into me, let's say I'm walking in the street, looking at a map or answering a text or something, which, you know, unfortunately, when we walk, sometimes we do use our phones. With the iPhone 6, I just didn't feel that I could do that. And part of it is the size, and a lot of it might have also been the rounded edges, which make it a little bit harder to grip. Um, I did put a case on it immediately. The case wasn't very thick, but it still was, it's still rounded, so you don't get the same grip you did. So I wrote this Macworld article about four days after I got the phone. So here in the UK, I ordered it from Apple directly from the online Apple store. You get 14 days to return it. After about three, four days, I realized this isn't doing it for me. So I wrote the Macworld article and I kept thinking about it. And so we're recording this on Thursday. Last Saturday, I switched SIMs back to my iPhone 5S for the weekend to see would I miss the iPhone 6 if I used the 5S over the weekend? And I didn't. And other than the size there are no advantages to me in the iPhone 6 except for the increased storage. I bought the 128 gig model which would let me store more music. But hey, I can live with that. So part of my sort of reptile brain started thinking that I spent 700 Wait a minute, on this wait phone. a minute.
2: We have another radio show called The Powercast about UFOs and things yeah. that go bump in the night and Kirk is admitting he has a reptile brain. Of we course, all do. Of course we, do. We, we do. we have but...
3: this primal this thing, that the, our gut instinct. So my, my gut instinct was I spent 700 pounds on a new phone that I don't really need that doesn't satisfy me the way my older one was. So I figured, heck, I'm going to get a refund on this. Use my iPhone 5S for two years, which will be the first iPhone I've used for more than a year, and see what happens next year.
2: Now, this is interesting. I did an article Which was, I think, partly influenced by your piece over at com, And my feeling is that Apple is going to look very carefully at the sales of the iPhone 5S. Right now, it's $99 with a contract, $149 for the 32 gigabyte version. Significant they kept that in the lineup. And I think if Apple sees a lot of people still buying the iPhone 5S, they're going to come out with a smaller iPhone 6 next year to satisfy that group of customers who won't go to bigger hardware.
3: Well, what I found interesting was that when you write an article on a website, it gets comments and you get comments that range from snarky to angry, to dumb, to intelligent. And the last time I looked, this article had, I think about 225 comments. A very large majority of, them, let's say, I don't know, 20% were people who felt the same way I did. They'd either bought an iPhone 6, didn't like the size, we're going to take it back, or they had tried the iPhone 6, someone they knew had it, and it just felt too big for them. So it just seemed, and you know, it's really hard to measure because that this is all anecdotal, but it seems to me that a lot of people are thinking the same way that I am, that this phone's just a little bit too large.
2: Now, I think Apple was forced kicking and screaming into making a decision about having larger iPhones. Part of the issue is that Just about all the popular premium handsets other than iPhone have larger screens. There's obviously a demand, and Apple felt, okay, the trade-offs are there. We'll try to address those trade-offs as much as possible. But here it goes. People want larger handsets. We've got to give it to them. And in doing that, they're probably realizing that there are people who would never, if they can help it, get anything larger than a four-inch screen?
3: Yeah, I I think there are a lot of issues. Um, First of all, women have smaller hands than men generally. I have very large hands, which makes it a bit paradoxical that the iPhone 6 was too large for me. I think they need to provide a broader range of sizes. I think adding larger phones is fine because there are a lot of people who don't want to use a phone one-handed. And I'm not even talking about the 6 Plus yet because that's a different use case. But instead of having the current size and the new size, they just opted to have the new size plus the even bigger size. It's very different from when, was it from the 4 to the 4S that they changed the height of the screen? That doesn't change the size of the phone so much. I mean, it's the same width as it was before. It's just an icon higher on the display. But here, I think they made a mistake. I mean, they sold 10 million of them, and I think in the first six hours they sold two million in china because they just went on sale i think the day before we're recording there are a lot of people who are going to want them but i think they made a mistake in ignoring that there are a lot of people who are used to a smaller phone and might find it better
2: let's talk more about this in our next segment with kirk mckelhearn i'm gene steinberg you're in the tech night how live legendary to cash in on this special deal at Namecheap.com
5: Namecheap.com On the average, Americans work between 45 to 50 years, hoping to build up enough wealth to retire and live out their golden years. Unfortunately, with taxation, the rising cost of food, energy, housing, and medical, many retirees are forced to live below the poverty line. Is this a flaw-free enterprise, or is our monetary unit we call the Federal Reserve Note, forcing us into perpetual debt, ensuring inflation and higher taxes? These questions and more can be answered by reading G. Edward Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Congressman Ron Paul states, it's what every American needs to know about central bank power, a gripping adventure into the secret world of international banking cartel. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I will give a silver dollar from the early 1900s to anyone who purchases this book. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order a copy today. It's critical that the public be made aware of the system. Call and order your copy today at 1-800-686-2237. That's 1-800-686-2237.
6: September is National Preparedness Month, so make it a September to remember by getting your emergency food supply from the Freeze Dry Guy. On sale this month, our 2014 Stew Butter and Potatoes unit. You'll get one number ten can each of high quality Mountain House Chicken Stew, Vegetable Stew with Beef, Pilot Crackers, plus the highest quality dehydrated ABC Stew, Butter and Potatoes for a total of 160 one half cup servings. Retail value 161.41, but not this month. The Freeze Dry Guy offers the 2014 Stew Butter and Potatoes unit for only 123. Save over $37. Plenty of protein, veggies, carbs for energy, and tasty, hearty, storable food with a shelf life of over 25 years. Call 866 404 3663. Free shipping to the lower 48 states. Click freezedryguy.com or call 866 404 3663. That's freezedryguy.com. Hurry, the National Preparedness Month sale and September 30th from the Freeze Dry Guy. The finest freeze dried and dehydrated foods available anywhere for long term storage.
7: Summertime is save big time at Herbal Healer Academy. Long-term customers know summer is the time to stock up at herbalhealer.com. And for new customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Log on for summer specials, including all sizes of colloidal silver, colloidal minerals, and intestinal freedom on sale. Choose from Herbal Healer's great variety of weight loss products like apple cider vinegar, hootia, and metabolic complex and pro-metabolic all on sale now. Also, the anti-parasite intestinal freedom and wormwood plus complex plus stevia liquid sweetener and the super enzymes all on sale for summer at herbalhealer.com. As always, we offer certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on now to herbalhealer.com and look for summer specials to save big with our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education. Since 1988, Herbal Healer Academy.
2: Kirk McElhearn is the iTunes guy, except no substitutes. Writes for Macworld and also has his own site at McElhearn.com called Kirkville. All right. So we're seeing here in the response to his article about basically sending back his iPhone 6 that a lot of people agree with him. And again, Apple is not going to ignore an audience. This is why there's an iPhone 6 Plus. There's a specific audience case for that. Certainly in Asia, there is. And obviously, a lot of people like the iPhone 6, but the iPhone 5S may be the perfect phone for a lot of people.
3: It may be. You know, if you look on the Android side, you've got all sizes. You've got phablets almost as big as an iPad mini, and you've got phones even smaller than the iPhone. Um, A lot of people have said that this is a problem for development. Someone told me yesterday, someone who develops iOS apps, says it's not an issue anymore because and I can't remember what it's called, there's a a sort of a CSS type thing that you use to develop an app on an iPhone that pretty much scales it to whatever size display you have. So it's not an issue that people have to make multiple versions of an app to develop for it. I think it makes a lot more sense to appeal to as many people as possible with different sizes rather than trying to impose the large size. I'm just looking on the Amazon UK website to see what smartphones are available. So there's a Nokia phone with Windows 8. It's got a four-inch display. It's got wonderful reviews. It costs £87, unlocked, SIM-free. It's only eight gigs. £87, that's, well, one-ninth of the cost I paid for my iPhone, granted different different capacity and all sorts of things like that. So you've got these low-cost, smaller phones. You've got low-cost, larger phones. You've got all side. In, in Android, you've got four and a half-inch. You've got probably 4.3-inch. 4.7 and 5 and 6 and 8. And so you've got every different size imaginable. I can't see Apple making six different sizes, but I would think that there would be a small, medium, and large when we get to the, either the iPhone 6s or the iPhone 7.
2: And the thing to consider, though, also in Android land, I think Daniel Aaron Dilger, who will be with us next week, by the way, I think Daniel said there were something like over 16,000 different models of Android phones. So there's no person on the planet who could possibly be able to remember that many configurations. It doesn't exist.
3: Well, remember that there are probably, what, a hundred brands making Android phones? You know, we hear of the big ones, Samsung and, I don't know, LG and Nokia. Well, that's Windows phones now, aren't they? But there are all sorts of other brands. If I look on Amazon, the, the first, if I look for a smartphone. On Amazon. The first one that comes up is a brand called Doogie, D O O G E E, that sells a four, they, let's see, Android 4.2 3G phablet with four gigs of storage, that's not much, for 59 pounds unlocked. Now, I don't know who this is, but my guess is you've got a lot of OEM manufacturers that just make phones and sell them really cheap. Here's another one, Cubot, 85 pounds unlocked. Google Android, Samsung, there's all sorts of different brands. And Every size imaginable no longer meets Apple fans used to berate um, Android, saying that it was so hard to develop, that there were so many different sizes. But I'm told that even Android has a similar type of thing that you develop once and it scales for different screen sizes. So it's no longer an issue. I think there's, there's nothing wrong in having different sizes. I think what's wrong is Apple just assuming that everyone wanted larger sizes and not continuing the same size. You mentioned earlier about how many iPhone 5 they'll continue to sell. Remember, the 5S is the open, quote, the farm team phone, the minor league phone, um, the one for the people who don't want to pay full price for the new one. I I don't know how many people are going to buy a 5S instead of a 6 because of the size rather than because of the price. I think if someone has, say, a 4S or a 5 now and they want to upgrade, and particularly for Touch ID, which was the, the big... Added feature in the 5S, then they might consider doing so. Um, but I think it's more of a price attraction right now than anything else.
2: Oh, we're going to have to see what kind of decision Apple has to make here. I see here again that Apple has been in many ways forced by the media and financial analysts to make decisions that might not be in their best interests. Now, I'm assuming the iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 Plus will be amazing successes based on the initial performance. I still believe that there will have to be a four-inch model next year. And maybe Apple is observing that, and Apple's fully aware of the problem that you had. And some people are just not going to be satisfied with the larger iPhones, and they need to continue over the years to provide a choice. But having just three models, new models in the lineup, rather than 4,000, is certainly an improvement. But the other thing is here, you did an article about... I gather you feel that Apple has been rushed into doing so many things at the same time that there are a lot of problems.
3: The, the first time we saw this was back with Leopard, macOS X 10.5, when Leopard was delayed because they needed to um, assign a lot of the software developers to iOS, to an iOS update at the time. Um, a- Apple issued a disastrous update to iOS 8, Um it, it, it was what was it just a couple of days after ios 8 came out and it was a very small bug fix update and the problem was that on the iphone 6 and 6 plus um a lot of the people who applied that update lost touch id access and cellular access so they couldn't use it as a phone um and they couldn't use touch id that's a very 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 serious update now fortunately i was i think i was watching a movie it was evening my time and after the movie i took out my phone and I looked on Twitter and there were like 300 um, tweets in my Twitter feed, which isn't usually the case after just a couple hours. So that's always a sign that something's going on. And I scrolled up my Twitter feed and I saw, oh, iOS 8.01 is out. And you get this sort of curve as more and more people spread the information about iOS 8.01 being out. And then all of a sudden, all these tweets, iOS 8.01 bricked my phone and then website saying, don't update, don't update, It wasn't long before Apple pulled the update. Um, This is just a mess. You can't do this to people. You can't release enough. How could they not have tested this update enough to find that this was causing so many problems for people? It's really surprising. Now, Now let me give you the
2: raw numbers here. The update came out and was pulled about an hour or an hour and 15 minutes later. Consumer Reports implies it's several hours. That's not true supposedly 40,000 iPhone 6 or iPhone 6 Plus handsets were impacted. Apple provided instructions to fix the problem. It wasn't as if they let you just sit there with units that wouldn't work. They had instructions on how to to downgrade. And then the very next day, they came out with 8.0.2. That appears to fix the problem. Now, this is not the first time that Apple has released an update that it didn't work that didn't work didn't do what it's supposed to do it happens in the past the problem is here is that right now apple can't even breathe before it becomes a major media event we'll get into more of this in a moment kirk McElhern joining us i'm gene steinberg you're in the tech night i live <laughs>
9: Suspensions. FCC investigations. That's Men, California. Hear him here. G.C.N.
13: Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next.
2: So Tim Cook is under humongous pressure. The media says Apple no longer innovates. He's got to prove they do. Tech analysts financial community. Apple has lost it. They've got to do something. So do you think here that maybe Apple tried to do a little too much because of all that
3: pressure? No, I don't think so. I think what's happened is Apple is locked into a product cycle with the iPhone. It's an annual product cycle. This is less the case with the iPad, but they've made it a habit to release a new iPhone every year in the fall over the recent years. The first iPhone, I think, was released in June, um, but then it slowly sid- slid to September, October. The problem is that they're also in an annual cycle for, for OS 10, no longer called Mac OS X. And in particular, iOS 8 has a number of features that are going to work with OS 10. Now, some of these features like continuity and handoff, they don't work yet because, well, Yosemite's not out yet. So if you've updated to iOS 8, you're still running Maverick. So you've got some of the key some, some of the big marketing features that they've presented that aren't available to you. I, I think the problem is that when a company tries to do so much with, such, w- with no wiggle room to change their release dates, if anything goes wrong, they're really stuck. Now, they can change the release date of OS X because that's not linked to hardware. L- let's say they release a Retina iMac around the same time that Yosemite comes out. I don't think that would necessarily require any special, anything special for Yosemite. You know, it would still work probably with Mavericks. Let
2: me but also for- mention here, there is one or more reports about the beta of Yosemite saying it does have support for the higher resolution. So if Apple was building a Retina Display iMac, they already know about it and they already allowed for OS X Yosemite to support that model. It won't need a change because it's already been considered.
3: Right. But they can release a new Mac whenever they want. They've got their own stores. They're not dependent on carriers and third-party resellers to, to, to deal with these products. Um, with the iPhone, it's totally different. They're selling these in several ways, through their stores, through all sorts of you know, reseller stores, and directly through carriers. So they've got a, a, a lot of other time constraints that they have to meet for these devices that they don't for computers. The, the fact that they've got to meet these deadlines, that the software is linked to the hardware now, is going to make it very difficult for the company in the future to really keep up. I think this this annual product cycle is just problematic. We really don't need a new version of our operating systems every single year. For a long time, OS 10 was like an 18 to 24-month cycle. Um, it's only recently that it's pretty much come to a 12-month cycle, give or take. We don't know when your somebody's coming out. Um, iOS being linked to the phone makes it an annual cycle. And I just think this isn't a good thing to do. I mean, how many times, why should we be expected every year to learn how to use our devices again? Now, it's good for you and me because there's lots for us to write about. It's good for the, the tech press you know, to keep the websites afloat. But I'm just thinking normal users, they just don't want to keep having to change things every single year.
2: This has become a real royal pain, hasn't it? The way things work out. It's just, I think, one of the problems is that Apple tried also to create, in addition to everything else they've got on their plates, this integration between OS X Yosemite and iOS, this continuity feature. It sounds great. Obviously, it can't work fully until Yosemite is out. And even then it can't work on all Macs because the Mac has to have support for Bluetooth LE. And that means models from say 2011 and 2012, if you have tens of millions of other Macs that could support otherwise OS 10 Yosemite, that feature handoff, a key part of the Yosemite experience where you could basically start a document on one device and go to another, it won't work on your Mac.
3: Yeah. And another, another cross-device feature is iCloud Drive. If you happen to have turned iCloud Drive on on your new iPhone, you won't be able to access any of your iCloud documents anymore on a Mavericks machine. So the fact that Yosemite is not out means that if you do depend on iCloud and you mistakenly turned on iCloud Drive, you're stuck and you can't get these documents. It's not easy on an iOS device to move these documents around. Now, with, with iCloud Drive, I admit I haven't seen iCloud Drive yet on my, iOS, on my iPhone running iOS 8. Um, I haven't even seen the share um, dialogue that Apple shows on its web page. So I'm guessing it's not even working yet correctly on iOS 8, yet they're telling you that once you've activated, your documents are no longer available on Mavericks. I think that's a very serious problem because people set up a new phone. They see a couple of things. You want to do this? You sure you want to do this? Yeah, I'm sure I want to do it. And they don't realize that this could be, it could prevent them from accessing a lot of their documents.
2: The long and short of it is things can get messy because of what Apple tried to do. And maybe the other thing is they figured, look, for a month, people are going to go through some basically growing pains here. Certainly not quite as bad as Maps for iOS 6. They're going to go through a couple of growing pains. Things will settle down. The press will have a little fun with it. But in a month or two, we'll be in the holiday season. People will be buying their iPhones and new Macs and everything. The bugs will be fixed, and nobody will care anymore. It's just that couple of weeks we have to prepare for. So maybe that's the other consideration. It is that in the end, although the rollout is shaky, as it always is every single year, we won't care that there was an iPhone iOS 8.0.1 that was pulled in an hour and 15 minutes. We won't care. Everything will work pretty good.
3: Well, but then with a the 12-month product cycle, it won't be long before we get back to where we were before, right? Of course. And
2: Kirk, look at last year. They released iOS 7 with the new interface. Yeah, It was a pretty big mess too, if you recall that. I mean, they didn't have to necessarily withdraw an update an hour and a quarter later. But they went through a couple of really quick updates just to fix a few of the excesses.
3: Well, it's normal that there be a quick update very shortly after release, and, and I'm pretty sure that every OS 10 release in the past five, six, eight years has had an update within the first week as well. Because remember, when they're releasing the gold master of something, there's about ten days to two weeks before the actual release. They're still collecting information about usage, and this is actually the time when more people install anyone who has a developer account and is using the betas of say iOS is installing on a device. It's not their main device. It's not their main iPhone. When the golden master came out, I installed it on my iPhone. So that's when you start getting a lot more bug reports and crash reports and all that. I have a folder of, um, if, if you go into your library logs crash report or mobile device folder. these are crash reports that come from an iOS device. Since I installed the Goldmaster on my iPhone, I have 860 crash reports. Only 860? Only 860. The majority of these are stacks plus backboard D. Now, I'm not actually sure what this is, and I've looked it up. Each one's about 500K, so this whole folder is almost a gigabyte, and I've just been holding on to these for now to see what's going to happen. Um, I'm seeing dozens of these crashes every day. Every time I sync my iPhone, it adds more crash logs because wh- what it does is any crash logs that are on your device get synced um, to your Mac when whenever you sync through iTunes, which makes, just an aside, I wonder if you never sync to iTunes if these things just take up space on, a, on a, an iOS device. That would be something to look into. But that's 860 crash logs in less than two weeks, right? That's really kind of surprising. Now, some of these are apps third-party apps, but the majority are iOS um, crash logs. So this is an issue. Um, I don't know if these crash logs get sent to Apple automatically. I I'm, I don't know if I've checked the share diagnostics thing. It, if they were, it would be using an awful lot of data because, as I said, there's a gigabyte of crash logs on my Mac. And that's and, just for my iPhone. If, oh, if boy. I let's iPad,
2: Let's break it. Okay. Just his iPhone. Think about how many crashes he's got on his iPad and on his Mac. Kirk McElhern is joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg during the Tech Night Out Live.
9: We are the premier independent talk radio network, the Genesis Communications Network,
2: GCN.
14: The human body is extraordinary.
13: Limited number of free programs available. Call now 1 888 912 1595. 1 888 912 1595. That's 1 888 912 1595.
16: 1 888 912 1595. Question Could too many GMO foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems? Answer Yes. If you are searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro EM1 from Terraganics. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM-1 is made with only non-GMO and certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is dairy, soy, wheat, and gluten-free. Pro-EM-1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terragonics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Also available through Amazon Prime. Pro-EM-1 from TerraGanics. Life's getting better. Do you know
13: what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
2: As we've learned so far, Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy from Macworld and proprietor of Kirkville's own blog, He has returned his iPhone 6 because it's just too big for his needs. He is concerned that Apple is doing too much too quickly because of all the problems. And he has accumulated a huge collection of crash logs as a result of iOS 8. And I know I've seen instances with iOS 8 where mail will crash when you go into a mail folder. That happens every so often.
3: Yeah, I've had that. I get springboard crashes. So the springboard is is basically, it's like the equivalent of the Finder. It's the home screens. You get a crash and it goes to a a white Apple logo on a black screen and reboots. I've seen basically every kind of crash possible. But what's interesting is that when I look at these crash logs to see the types of apps that are crashing, that's what's probably the most surprising is that some of them are apps and you can expect that in the first couple of days after uh, an an OS is updated because third-party apps aren't updated. But The vast majority of these are crash logs that are coming from iOS itself. I'm seeing some, for instance, low memory, game D that probably has something to do with game center, stacks and media server D. So I don't know, media servers, maybe videos, mobile Safari, NS network D. So these are all, lots of these are just iOS crashes. So I still have the folder from my iPhone 6, which is in a box waiting to be picked up. And there are 439 crash logs from that one. So I'm talking three iOS devices, like 2,000 crash logs. That's a problem.
2: I haven't bothered looking. Now, I, I will point out, as those who are Apple developers know, and also the million some odd users of the public beta version of OS 10 Mavericks, there is a golden master candidate. Now, I won't comment fully on the issues, except that I know of some serious bugs within the OS 10 Yosemite Golden Master that I hope will be fixed by the time it's released. Yeah. So, you know, used to be when you had a Golden Master, this is the version that ships to manufacturing in the days you press CDs or DVDs or something, or even floppy disks. Nowadays, because distribution is online, it's a candidate, meaning they'll run the test and maybe a week or two later there'll be a second Golden Master fixing a lot of bugs and then at some point in time they'll say this is it let's get this out and start working on the first maintenance update
3: but this didn't used to be the case the golden master was the final version in the past in software development you had the alpha version which is basically the unfinished internal version then you have the beta which or number of betas number of alphas and the betas are often circulated outside to testers then you have a release candidate before a golden master then you have the golden master. So what Apple did is they're calling this the golden master candidate, which is a bit of a semantic twist saying it's not really the golden master. And I think the first time they didn't call it like this last year, they called it the golden master, but then they issued a golden master two, which again, doesn't make sense. They should have called it release candidate. It's not that big a deal. It's just a sign that you know what they're doing here isn't yet final. Now we can't, Talk about it because we're under NDA, but I did install the Yosemite Golden Master on my MacBook Pro yesterday. We can't really talk about it because, you know, we're under NDA and all that. But I, I feel that generally when we get to the Golden Master, it's safe enough to install. It's not my main Mac, and I would never install it on my main Mac. Um, my Mac Pro is still running Mavericks, and we'll probably do so until I'm sure that the final Golden Master is the final Golden Master. In other words, if they were to come up with say three golden masters um i wouldn't really want to be running a second golden master on my main mac my macbook pro just to be safe you just you know this is my work here if i can't work uh, that's a bit of a problem
2: my feeling is here is that apple will accumulate whatever bugs they feel are serious fix them as much as they can and get out a second golden master candidate and make that the one and then go right to the first maintenance release
3: yeah that kind of makes sense I can't, I really can't see more than two Golden Master candidates, whatever, but you know that they're working on it now and they're probably, they've probably got one team working on the second Golden Master and another team working on the first .01 update that'll be released shortly after, you know, the first week after the Golden, after the official release. But again, as I said earlier, it's only at this point when you're getting more people using the software because... They're assuming that the Golden Master is safer. Now, I'm kind of, I feel a little bit burned that it's not as advanced as it is. But again, we can't go into it. You said there are obviously bugs in Yosemite. We can't talk too much, but I would have expected it to be more finished. And it doesn't seem finished yet.
2: Let's move to another topic here because we have a slightly shorter visit and I wanted to cover a lot of ground. Okay. There is a security update that Apple just released going as far, by the way as OS 10.7 Lion, and evidently it's in the Yosemite Golden Master, they tell me. And that is shell shock, the shell shock exploit. Now, sometimes covering Apple, you feel shell shocked. Hmm. So tell our listeners what this means, because we're concerned about security.
3: Yeah, so this is a, a, well, an exploit is something that takes advantage of a bug in software. Uh, it's the kind of thing that might let a remote user send a command to your computer and be able to get access to your files. And that's pretty much what Shellshock can do. But it only affects computers that are directly connected to the internet that are acting as servers. So if you're running a website on your Mac and this is publicly available, the exploit could be used. But people like you and me, um, you know, our websites are hosted by hosting companies. We don't have to worry too much about that. We've got our Macs behind routers, and there's no public access to them, so it's not a big deal. Uh, so what Apple did is they did release a security update. It's not available through the Mac App Store, where updates usually are. You can find it on the Apple website. You kind of have to search for it. Their logic is that this is for advanced users, which is true. It has been confirmed to me that the update is in the Yosemite Goldmaster. Now, this this the the exploit in question is a weakness in the Bash shell, B-A-S-H. A A shell is kind of like the software that runs when you open Terminal. It's a software in which you issue commands. Um, The Bash shell had a problem, and the update is very small. It's just a few megabytes. It just provides a patched version of the Bash shell to your computer. So you don't have to worry about this if you're using your Mac like most people do. If you do use your Mac as a server, you probably already know that you need to worry about this and get the update.
2: Hmm. Well, at this point, I understand that this is probably more a theory than a potential for most Mac users. Don't worry about it and move on with your life.
3: Yeah, I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. It's, it's a sign of a serious problem that affects not just Macs, it affects Unix computers and Linux computers as well because Bash is a widely used piece of software. Um, But beyond that, it's not something that the average user needs to worry about.
2: Okay, there goes our security. Now, one more thing maybe we should cover here about the iPhone 5, which is now the two-year-old iPhone. There are some extended repair programs Apple has going on for that. These are things, by the way, where it's like one step before recall where a product defect is located and they will extend the warranty to fix things but they don't always tell customers what's going on.
3: Yeah, I find it a little bit annoying. So, so there are two um, repair programs for the iPhone 5. These aren't new, um, but one of my readers just pointed out to me, said it might be a good idea because, you know, there's still a lot of people using the iPhone 5. It's only, what, a year old. Um, to, these two programs, one of them is for the sleep-wake button, the button on the top of the phone, um, Some of the mechanisms, they say, may stop working or work intermittently. And these were iPhone 5s manufactured through March 2013. That's a long period of time because they were released in, what, early October, I think. So that's covering about six months of iPhone 5s. Um, The second is a battery replacement program that Apple says that some iPhone 5 devices may suddenly experience shorter battery life or need to be charged more frequently. Now that's the kind of thing we're all used to. The battery life on our devices getting worse, and if I'm an average user who doesn't pay attention to Mac news sites, and I would just never hear about this. I just assume that it's normal that my battery's going dead. Um, so a reader pointed these two things out to me, and I felt it would be useful to, to to highlight them, particularly for the battery thing. If you still have an iPhone 5, your battery might have an issue, and it's worth You know, it's worth checking your serial number. Apple um, has a website for each of these repair programs. You enter the serial number of your device, and if your device is affected, you just take it back to an Apple store, or if you don't have one nearby, you call Apple, and they'll set up an exchange. Um, One commenter on my blog said that he took his iPhone 5 to a store, and they just basically gave him a new one.
2: Let's continue in our final segment with Kirk McElhern on the Tech Night Out Live.
9: America's largest independently owned communications network, GCN.
6: Visit the Berkey guy at goberkey.com and be sure to click the red products on sale now button. You can always call toll free 877 886 3653. Again, that's 877 886
8: 3653. Goberkey.com, home of the Berkey guy. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
2: So Kirk McElhern, you was telling us that in one case where someone tried to take advantage of this extended warranty on the iPhone 5, they got a new one.
3: Well, it's probably a refurbished one, but well, yeah, to them it was new. I think Apple finds it's an awful lot easier to just replace the phone than to take the phone, hold on to it, do the repair, wait for the person to come back. It probably saves them time and money. So they've got plenty of refurbs and they just use them for that.
2: And you shouldn't worry because a refurb is technically as good as the original.
3: When Apple sells refurbished devices, whether it be iPhone, iPad, Macs, or whatever, they've tested them. These might be units that have been in a store on display or that someone bought and sent back for whatever reason. My iPhone 6 is going to end up being sold as a refurb. I used it for a week. It's in excellent condition. They'll check it. They'll make sure. They'll run it through tests, and they'll sell it as a refurb at a discount of usually about 15%. Actually, if you look, it's not easy to find, but the refurb link on the Apple Store page. If you're looking for a new Mac and you're willing to get, say, last year's model at a discount, you can sometimes get really good bargains. I think refurb iPhones are a little bit harder to find, but they've always got a lot of Macs. And, and this is something that changes very quickly from one day to the next. So if you are looking for a Mac and you don't want to pay full price, look up the refurbs and you might find something where you can save a, a good amount. Well, I
2: know that in buying a new Mac, for example, I would very much suggest you look at the refurb department over at Apple's website or check out your local Apple store and see what they have. Because you could save, what, 50, 100 or more and get yourself a very good piece of hardware.
3: Well, if it's it's a current device, I think they limit the discount to about 15%. But earlier this year, before I got my Mac Pro, I was looking at iMacs on the, the Apple UK website and they had some of the previous model, well, the yeah, the, the not current model, but really high-end versions at as much as 30% off. Now, you, you can't choose a configuration. So if you want an SSD or a Fusion Drive or whatever, you just get what's available. You can't say, I want this one, but I don't want that disk, I want another one. Um, but the discount can be substantial if you don't want the latest Mac. And in fact, I think I read last week that they've started having some new Mac pros is refurbs on the Apple website. So if you're all looking for a Mac pro, that's 15% of that. That's a, that's really a big discount.
2: Okay. Last question today. Why is your Mac pro catching dust?
3: Yeah, this surprise, you know, every computer that draws air in, um, to cool it off is going to pick up some dust. And I was a little bit surprised. This was just yesterday. I noticed a bit of dust sort of building up around the bottom. So the, the Mac Pro is cylindrical, but it's got rounded edges, if that makes sense. It, is, is that what we call a torus, T-O-R-U-S? So the bottom isn't like a beer can. It's slightly rounded, and there are vents in the bottom. And I noticed there was some dust building up. So I took, I unplugged the Mac Pro, and I took it outside, and I blew into it, and a whole lot of dust came out. So I got a can of compressed air and, and cleaned it out. It seems like for a Mac that I've only had for three months, there's an awful lot of dust going into this thing. Let Um, me tell
2: you here, folks, that I live in Arizona, in the desert, and we get dust all the time. Nothing we can do about it. I'm always using the spray can, the compressed air, to clean things out. I know that my iMac is probably filled with dust, which is probably why the CD drive on it, it's one of those models, doesn't work. I think if we just opened the case or had Apple do it and clean it out, everything would be perfect. It's a mess. We understand that, but... In the UK, it's not dusty there. It's rainy and wet.
3: The month of September was the warmest and driest on record, they said. So it's not a... The the summer, it it rained so few times that it really reminds me of the weather where I used to live in the south of France, um, where they would brag about having 300 days of sun a year. But I, I think the actual reason is that computers these days have slower, quieter fans. When you had a faster fan back in the old days, I think... It drew the dust in and spit it out much more than these slow fans do. It's just a guess. Um, but y- the Mac Pro's fan is so quiet that it's sitting on my desk and I can be um, ripping a DVD with handbrake, something that I've already copied to my hard disk. So I'm not, listen- I'm not hearing um, my DVD drive actually ripping. And the fan on the Mac Pro makes absolutely no audible noise. It's about, what, three feet from my- two feet from my ears? And I don't hear it. I've never heard it. Um, my Mac mini, on the other hand, whenever I would do anything like that or even rip, convert a lot of music files, the fan would go into overdrive. Or, or when I used Skype on my Mac mini, the fan would go into overdrive. Um, on the Mac Pro, you know, we're recording this on Skype. I'm looking. I use iStat menus to keep track of what's going on. Um, let's see, Skype's using 6% of CPU. And, you know, the, the Mac Pro is just snoozing. But I think, again, the slower fan might be drawing dust in a little bit more. And it could be the design of the Mac Pro being vertical as opposed to horizontal. So it draws the air from the bottom and it expels it at the top. Whereas thinking back to, say, the 2006 Mac Pro, it would draw it in. Well, it drew it in, I guess, on the front and the back and expelled it from the back. Was that correct? Um, but it was horizontal. So I don't know if that makes a difference. I was just surprised that so much dust came out of this Mac.
2: Well, you wonder then maybe Apple has to maybe rejigger the way the air is drawn through the device or change the speeds of the fan or something. If this becomes a problem, because once again, if it's a problem in the UK, what would it be like in Arizona near Phoenix or in Nevada, Las Vegas?
3: Yeah, I I think the issue is, you know... Again, this is a fairly new computer. The first ones were delivered in late December to to sort of get out before the end of 2013, as Tim Cook had promised. And it really only started being delivered broadly, I think, around March or April. I got mine in June. Um, It's not a computer that sells a lot, so they don't have a lot of experience yet. I'm not saying that this is necessarily a big deal. Uh, I do remember my 2006 Mac Pro when I had it. if you remember, it was very easy to open up the side and you could see the dust and you'd vacuum it out every now and then it's true that with an all in one computer, you don't see it. So I, again, I don't know if this is normal or not, but the amount of dust came out just didn't seem like the amount of dust you'd expect from a computer like this. Again, the fans going slowly. Now I have a cat, um, Titus, the cat, but he doesn't go on my desk. Now there's certainly cat hair. Um, That gets on the desk but the dust that was coming out wasn't bits of cat hair it was small dust so I I just I merely wrote an article on my blog about it because I was surprised and I haven't heard yet from anyone else Um, I don't know if a lot of Mac Pro users have taken their Mac Pros outside and blown a can of compressed air into them to see Um, one thing I did afterwards though is I did use a vacuum cleaner on the top so the cylinder curls over the top and if you stick your vacuum cleaner and run it around in a circle, it will draw a lot of air out of it. So I think that I probably got as much of the dust out as I can for now. But uh, I'll set a reminder on my calendar to check it again in a few months.
2: Yes, let's see if there's a problem. And maybe if the problem occurs again, give Apple a call and ask them if this is something they're aware of. Mm. You know, you may be just one of those people who has the unlucky computer. You have a problem sometimes where you get a product, and unfortunately, it... Is defective. You've gone through that more than well, I think a lot of Well, yeah,
3: have. we have. I don't think it's defective. See, we do have carpeting in this house, and carpeting does create more dust um, than, say, a wood floor or a tile floor. Uh, but you know, I can't, I can't accuse anything of it. I'm certainly not blaming my cat or the carpeting or whatever. It's just a curious state of affairs. The fact that the computer sits on the desk means that any dust that settles on the desk will get sucked into it. And this isn't the case with an iMac. Your iMac's on a stand. And so I've got a 27 inch um, Thunderbolt display, which is what is about six inches off the desk. The air input on the Thunderbolt display, and I assume it's the same as the iMac, is the right half of the bottom of the display. The air output is the left half of the bottom.
2: We're out of time. Kirk but McElhern, it- please tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff.
3: Check out my website, Kirkbill. It's www.maclehern.com. That's M C E L H E A R N.com. And you can find me over at Macworld where I write about iTunes and Macs and iPhones and all sorts of other things.
2: But not planes and trains and automobiles. Not yet, at least. No, none of them yet. Kirk McElhern. Oh, if
3: Apple comes out with a plane, maybe I'll write about that.
2: Kirk McElhern, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thanks for having me again, Gene.
1: Call me at 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Be proactive, not reactive. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 116.
7: Summertime is save big time at Herbal Healer Academy. Long-term customers know summer is the time to stock up at herbalhealer.com. And for new customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Log on for summer specials, including all sizes of colloidal silver, colloidal minerals, and intestinal freedom on sale. Choose from Herbal Healer's great variety of weight loss products like apple cider vinegar, hootia, and metabolic complex and pro-metabolic all on sale now. Also, the anti-parasite intestinal freedom and wormwood plus complex plus stevia liquid sweetener and the super enzymes all on sale for summer at herbalhealer.com. As always, we offer certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on now to HerbalHealer.com and look for summer specials to save big with our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988. Herbal Healer Academy.
8: We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at Tech That's news at Tech Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at Tech Night Owl.com slash radio. That's Tech Night Owl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes.
2: We have Jessica Hoffman, and she is from SquareTrade, which is a company that offers insurance and extended warranties for lots of gear, electronics gear. But today we're going to talk about the story that went viral in the past week about whether the iPhone 6 Plus was unusually susceptible to bending. Now, in last week's episode, Jessica... I was kind of laughing about this. I started reciting this lyrics from this song from the 60s, bend me, shake me any way you want me. But then, of course, that's before your time. So can you tell us here exactly what does Square Trade do with regard to testing for durability of electronics gear?
18: Um, Well, every time a new phone comes out uh, or a tablet, we perform our breakability tests on the phone. So that includes looking at the front and back panel, what materials they're made of, what the design is, with the sizes, the weight, um, the grippability of the phone, uh, as we say, um, the water resistance, the friction coefficient, how easily it slips on a counter, and then also a drop test, right? So how uh, easily it breaks if it's dropped from four feet above, which is about the normal uh, height that a phone is dropped from.
2: Now, let me ask you briefly, do smartphones in general survive that four foot drop test?
18: In this test, uh, all of the phones survived it except for the iPhone 6 Plus. And, but this, all screens survived the test. But the iPhone 6 Plus uh, had the back and the front panel come across. They split down the the left side of the phone. Uh, In the past, I would say that uh, we, we almost always got cracks in the screen. But both Samsung and Apple have, have made pretty, pretty great strides uh, in terms of the, the glass that they're using for their their smartphones
2: this is this gorilla glass right uh
18: with the new iphone 6 pluses it was the ionized glass apple looked into uh using a number of different materials and settled on that as the most durable and um we think it was a good decision
2: the point being here if you drop your smartphone don't be surprised if it doesn't work again
18: well, that's right. So we do a corner drop. If we drop these phones flat on their, on their faces, we might have different results. But we find, based on you know, millions and millions of claims that come in, that most people report that the phone doesn't fall face down. It falls on a corner. So that's why we do the test that way.
2: Let me tell you a quick story. This actually happened at an Apple store a few years back. I brought in my iPhone. I think it was a 4S, as a matter of fact. And I wanted mm-hmm. a new case. So I took the case off, I put the phone on this table at the Apple store, and the sales clerk, the Apple expert or whatever, she knocked against it, it fell on the floor, and the screen cracked.
18: Oh, that is bad luck.
2: For Apple, because they had to give me a replacement phone, because it that's was their right, fault.
18: That's right, Yeah. Yeah, those types of accidents happen all the time. That just happened to me last month. I I was talking on the phone. The the phone was in my lap. I had my earbuds in, like all good drivers. And then I forgot about it. I got out of the car and it fell down onto the sidewalk and it shattered.
2: Let that be a lesson to you. Get a car with a hands-free system.
18: That's right. That's right. That's what my husband said, indeed.
2: Well, tell him to buy you a new Car. That's all.
18: <laughs> all right. Well, maybe I'll send him this radio broadcast.
2: Okay. All right. So, Jessica, let's talk about your breakability test, especially with regard to the ability of the iPhone to be bent. We heard the story. It started out with a viral video on YouTube. And in passing, let's point out that if you actually go online to see this video, you will see an ad first. So, we know first and foremost. The person who posted that video gets paid when you watch it. So we, right, you know, sure.
18: So we did our battery of tests uh, as we always do, and the the bendability is not a test that we had performed before. Um, the reason is that. Uh, our our breakability tests come from real live data from from customers about how accidents most frequently happen. We've never seen bends come in as a problem. So um, we actually gave the six and the six plus very good scores when it comes to breakability. Uh, And then we saw that video. And of course, we had a lot of members of the media calling us to find out what our position on it was. And so we said, well, we'll do an impromptu bend test with just employees here in the office. So my colleague who sits next to me happens to be a body builder so i said listen if anyone can break bend the phone it'll be him so i tried it and then and i could not bend the phone no matter how hard i tried and i have very strong fingers Holly- that's,
2: that's what your kids tell you right that you have very strong fingers <laughs> yeah.
18: well i'm a piano player so i like to think that i have a little bit more strength in my fingers than most but it was no match for um for the casing on the on the six plus there was no way i could bend it Pace Liu, on the other hand, who uh, benches 400, apparently, uh, he could break it within a few seconds. So we did see that if someone is actually intent on breaking the phone, they can do it. Um, but we've had dozens of claims on the, on the iPhone 6 since it, it's been available uh, in the U.S., and, and none of them have included a bend. So we still think that the majority of the, the accidents are going to be your drops and your spills, not, not bending in the pocket.
2: Okay, but if you can bench press 400 pounds and you have really (laughs) strong hands, which is important, it's not just the shoulders and arms, it's the hands and you could really grip it and you try hard enough and you force the issue, you could bend it. What about a normal use case where you stick it in your back pocket? Now, let me tell you before we go into this, I will never stick a valuable in my back pocket that is, of course, pickpocket bait, don't you think?
18: That's right. That's right. I'm surprised how many people put that phone in their back pocket. In fact, we find that uh, 50% of people that don't use a case, the reason they say they don't use a case is because it doesn't fit into their back pocket as nicely. So really, you and I are the only exceptions because most people really like to carry their phone in their back pocket. We did do a skinny jeans test as part of this because we, we were seeing these reports of, of the phone bending in one's pocket over time. Another one of my colleagues, Premier, who wears skinny jeans, we asked him to um, put the phone in his front and in his back pocket. We asked him to do a number of squats to see if, if it just bent from that activity. We also asked him to sit at his desk for 30 minutes with the phone in his pocket and not move and the phone didn't bend. Now, maybe if you're, you have a different waistline or your jeans are a little tighter than mirrors and you're sitting on a plane for 10 hours, it seems very uncomfortable to me. But if you did it, then maybe you could get the 6 Plus to bend. But based on our skinny jeans test, uh, we, we did not see a bend.
2: Now, in passing, we should mention Consumer Reports tested six smartphones, three from Apple, three from three other makers, I think that's an unfair test. They should have tested three phones from each of the other three makers. But they also found that these iPhones, the new ones, the 6 and the 6 Plus, were pretty durable. So your conclusion, and we're going to split for a break in a moment, your conclusion is under normal use and service, which is very important, the normal use factor, an iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 Plus, they're pretty durable products. It's not easy to break them.
18: That's right. That's right. That's what we found
2: we'll go more into that test and also we'll talk about what a company like a square trade does if they see evidence that somebody's trying to push the envelope and deliberately break it and then say, "Hey, it's broken. Give me a new phone minus my deductible." We have Jessica Hoffman of SquareTrade, that's squaretrade.com. I'm Gene Steinberg, you're in the Tech Night Out live. Yeah.
9: A little right, a little left, but always independent minded. The Genesis Communications Network, GCN.
2: Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to A2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, A2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24 7 365 days a year to answer any of your questions now to get the discount use the coupon code gene when you check out
16: question could too many gmo foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems Answer, yes. If you're searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro-EM-1 from Terraganics. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM-1 is made with only non-GMO and certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is dairy, soy, wheat, and gluten-free. Pro-EM-1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Also available through Amazon Prime. Pro-EM-1 from Terragonics. Life's getting better. September is
6: National Preparedness Month, so make it a September to remember by getting your emergency food supply from the Freeze-Dry Guy. On sale this month, our 2014 Stew, Butter, and Potatoes Unit. You'll get one number 10 can each of high-quality Mountain House Chicken Stew, vegetable stew with beef, pilot crackers, plus the highest-quality dehydrated ABC stew, butter and potatoes for a total of 160 one-half-cup servings. Retail value 16141, but not this month. The Freeze-Dry Guy offers the 2014 Stew, Butter, and Potatoes Unit for only $123. Save over $37. Plenty of protein, veggies, carbs for energy, and tasty, hearty, storable food with a shelf life of over 25 years. Call 866 404 3663. Free shipping to the lower 48 states. Click freezedryguy.com or call 866 404 3663. That's freezedryguy.com. Hurry, the National Preparedness Month sale and September 30th from the Freeze Dry Guy. The finest freeze dried and dehydrated foods available anywhere for long term storage.
19: Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy. And get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional installation. You control what you watch when you watch it. Record your favorite shows, pause and rewind live TV, even skip the commercials. Watch local channels too. At just $19.99, what are you waiting for? Pull out your Major credit or debit card. Call 1 855 905 MyTV. 1 855 905 MyTV. Say goodbye to the cable guy. Cut costs and get more. 1 855 905 MyTV. 1 855 905 MyTV.
13: You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle live with Gene Steinberg.
2: We have Jessica Hoffman from Square Trade. It's a company that provides extended warranties, insurance policies for electronics gear, And they got themselves immersed in a bendability test on the new iPhones to see if the iPhone 6 Plus happens to be a little bit too delicate. So what does a company like a Square Trade do? And you're getting huge numbers of claims every single day about different products. How do you check, say, for example, someone says, my iPhone 6 Plus got bent? How do you determine that they didn't just break it?
18: Uh, Well, SquareTree covers you, especially on mobile devices, uh, for any type of accidental damage. So it doesn't matter how the accident happens. Uh, If you have a SquareTree protection plan, you're covered. So if you were a guy who put that six plus in your back pocket and then sat on a plane for a number of hours and it bent and it was affecting the use of the phone, then we would replace that for you or repair it, whatever you prefer. So um, that's 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 a big reason why people get uh, square trade for their mobile devices is that most of the accidents, most of the, the times that your phone breaks, it's not based on manufacturer's defect. It's based on an accident that happens that you're likely responsible for.
2: Okay, so you don't really take into account that somebody deliberately tried to bend the envelope, as they say.
18: Um, you mean someone who has, uh, like, just waited 18 hours in line for a new iPhone 6 Plus and then deliberately broke it? That's right. Well, we don't see that happen very frequently. But if for some reason it was a deliberate break instead of an accident, um, I'm not sure how we would determine that. But it's, you know, it wouldn't make sense for most people to deliberately break their phone.
2: So you're kind of giving people the benefit of the doubt here. It's not that you can sit there and examine every single iPhone presented to you and go into this long testing of it. Apple will do that if you bring it to their store, of course. They'll check it to see if you damaged it. But you're dealing with huge numbers. And I assume here anyone trying to play games with this, it's going to be a very small percentage, Right.
18: Yeah, that's right. I mean, Square Trade is known for awesome customer service, and we do err on the side of, of the consumer. Um, so, you know, we believe in our, our, our customers. But if you do take it to an Apple store, we're partnered with Apple, and we can, um, if, you, if you have a Square Trade protection plan, and you go to an Apple store, you can get it fixed or replaced and just send us the receipt, and uh, we reimburse you that way. Apple Care is also another option for people, but SquareTrade covers more incidents than Apple Care, so a lot of people
20: prefer us.
2: Let's go into that very quickly here. So I have a choice here of spending what? Is it ninety nine dollars now for the Apple Care plus? I forget the price. Or I pay you guys five dollars a month for an iPhone protection plan. What advantage do I get from you?
18: That's right. So we think that Apple Care is a great is a great product. Um and of course it covers people who are um who use iPhones, not Androids. Um, But SquareTrade is slightly more advantageous than AppleCare in that we allow you to have four claims over the life of the warranty and AppleCare only gives you two claims. The deductible is about the same, um, but AppleCare also doesn't cover full submersion of a phone. So we know that one in 10 Americans has dropped their phone in the toilet. Unfortunately, and that wouldn't be covered by Apple Care, and it would be covered by Square Trade. So, if you spill something on your phone, it's covered by Apple Care, but not if you have full liquid submersion, like jump in the pool or go in the ocean with your phone in your bathing suit or something like that. So that's kind of how it nets out. But you can take, with a square trade protection plan, you can go into an Apple store and get your phone repaired or replaced and just send us the receipt. You can also do that with your local repair shop. We really like to give people as much choice as possible about how they get their phone fixed or repaired. Um, And we also provide overnight replacement for people who prefer that option.
2: So, therefore, if I don't have an Apple store near me or it's, you know, 45 minutes away. If you don't have
18: an Apple store That's right. If you don't have one near you or you don't have a repair, say it's a screen shatter and it's something that could be fixed in your local repair shop uh, and you prefer to do it that way, you could do it that way. Otherwise, you could call us and we would overnight you a replacement phone.
2: Now, when you're sending a replacement, do you send them a new phone or a refurb?
18: Um, It depends on the model of the phone. Most of our depots carry a wide range of, of different models. But if there was not a refurb model of the phone, then we would send you a new phone.
2: In the case of an iPhone, it would be the same model.
18: Yeah. So an iPhone 6 or 6 Plus, um, we obviously have those in stock right now. We're, we're getting claims on them. Uh, but if for some reason we didn't have, uh, say it was an iPhone 5S or a 4S, and we didn't have that model of phone in our depot, then uh, we would either upgrade you upgrade you, um, or we would send you a refurb phone.
2: Okay. Now, in the sense here, you're covering just about every manufacturer. Of smartphones. You're covering... That's right. Right. So you're covering Samsung. You're covering LG. You're covering Motorola.
18: Motorola. That's right.
2: In each case, though, any of these companies pretty much, they're making durable products. They're not making stuff that's easy to break or easy to shatter. Is that correct?
18: (laughs) What we find is um, it's sort of an interesting trend that's happening. We think that the manufacturers are continuing to do better when it comes to durability. Like they're definitely making strides in that direction because they have to. Right. But at the same time, people are spending more money than ever on repairs and replacements. So we just did some research um, Last month, we found that Americans have spent $10.7 billion just on iPhone repair and replacement over the last seven years. Um, I think it's $4.8 billion in two years alone. And the reason is because these these phones are becoming more and more essential to our daily lives. So we're using them more and they're having more and more accidents. So even though they're becoming more durable, at the same time, we're we're letting our kids use them. Our dogs are licking them. We're taking them into the bathroom. We're taking them to the beach. Um, you know, they're going through security a hell of a lot of times at the airport. So that use just means that they fall more, they break more because they're just they're stress-tested. They're going through a lot more than they were maybe even three years ago when we used them less because they were less useful. There were fewer things that we used them for. Most people don't even carry a camera anymore because they use their phone to take a picture. Um, Same thing with all the different apps that are now available on smartphones. We just use that one device for everything, so it puts it more at risk.
2: Just a fast question here because you do cover things like flat panel TVs. So we take our 55-inch TV and we take one of your extended warranties. What are the things on the flat panel TV that break the most? Is it the power supply or what?
18: Um, I'd have to get back to you on that. I'm not sure what the top incidents are for flat panel TVs. Um, I know that most people get square trade on expensive TVs because they have put a lot of money into it and they don't have that money to replace it should it break. Um, so... So that's the main reason that that people buy it, uh, as opposed to accidents. Uh, it's not like the flat panel TV is falling to the ground uh, frequently. Um, but as for the top incidents that happen, I'd have to get back to you on it.
2: Okay, because I think we all understand that you buy the $800 or $1,200 TV, and that's, I guess, middle of the price range right now. What you're going to see there is that If anything fails, it's going to be something in the electronics. It's going to be like a power supply or a logic board or something. It's not going to be your flat panel. And if you are out of warranty, which is where things come into play here after a year or so, they'll charge you about half what you paid for the set to fix that one logic board, to have somebody come to your house and remove and replace it, right?
18: That's right, and that's another problem that we see um, that that people are really dissatisfied with uh, when it comes to... To TV repair is uh, first of all it costs an arm and a leg if you don't have a warranty to get your TV repaired. And then people come in, the technicians come in. You, they probably gave you a four-hour window, so you're at home, you're waiting for them. They get there and they don't have the parts to fix your TV. So then they say, oh well, we'll come back next week. This just happened to me with my washer and dryer. And so um, that's that's very frustrating. So for example, with Square Trade technicians, we troubleshoot on the phone. We make sure that when we actually come to fix your TV at your house um, that we have every part you need to fix it.
2: How can people learn more about your service?
18: Uh, Well, you can find Square Trade at uh, many of your leading retailers online and in-store, Sam's, Costco, Staples, and on Amazon and eBay, or you can come to squaretrade.com.
2: Jessica Hoffman, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live.
18: Thank you.
9: Dependently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are
2: GCN.
0: Or it close you can't afford to wait so call 866-91-STEEL lock in your price now call 866-91-STEEL that's 866-917-8335 what good is a big berkey water filter
21: we get that question a lot here at com. and in a word the answer is protection Protection from water main breaks, E. coli contamination, environmental chemical spills, pesticide runoff, chlorine taste and smell, and all forms of fluoride. Plus, Big Berkey water filters are the original gravity water filter system and most trusted on the market for a reason. Tested by multiple independent NSF EPA certified labs, they are the gold standard in water purification. At only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. That means big savings. Big Berkey, the one that's Powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get a Big Berkey today at bigberkeywaterfilters.com. GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit our website or call one eight seven seven ninety nine Berkey. That's eight seven seven ninety nine B E R K E Y. Big Berkey Water Filters for the love of clean water.
14: The human body is extraordinary.
13: What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know.
2: We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine joining us. And a little bit later in the interview, not much later, we'll go into Windows 10. It wasn't Windows 9. We had a fake out from Microsoft. They went from 8.1 to 10. So I'm going to ask you, Avram, when you test smartphones, do you really try to exercise the hardware in ways that might damage it or what?
20: Not unless it's already been marketed as a rugged product. Uh, I mean, one of the problems with doing this kind of a testing is you might break the product. Well, if Apple is loaning us an iPhone uh, and we send it back to them broken, they might not send us one again. So, you know, if we were to do that type of a testing, we'd have to buy the phone. And it's not that we, we couldn't buy the phone, but generally if it's not claimed that something is rugged, we assume that it's not. Now, of course, if... Panasonic sends us a tough book, or Samsung sends us uh, the Galaxy S5 Active, which is a rugged phone. Uh, then we then we test those, and we find out first from the manufacturer what it's supposed to survive, and test against their claims. We don't test things against the claim. We don't test things that aren't that aren't marketed as being rugged to see how how easy they are to destroy.
2: But I would assume being fair that most modern smartphones from the major manufacturers will be pretty rugged in normal use and service, but you can bend any of them if you try hard enough. You can break them if you drop them from the right distance.
20: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I've heard about all these people now going into Apple stores, trying to bend the iPhone 6+. Plus. Uh, I hope they don't get caught. I mean, you know, uh, because I don't think it's a good practice to go into any store and try and break the merchandise. The, uh, you know, obviously anything that you put in your pocket and sit on can can be a problem. I think the complaint is that the iPhone 6 Plus uh, bends a little bit too easily. I don't know uh, the reality of, of that. I mean, I've certainly seen some videos of it being done, such as on Unboxed, Unbox Unbox Therapies YouTube channel, where they did did it with an iPhone six plus and it bent, and they applied a seemingly equal amount of force to a Galaxy Note three, and it did not bend. So that certainly speaks to maybe the iPhone being a little bit more malleable, and perhaps that's because it's so thin and it's made out of
2: out of metal and easier to bend. But, you know, of course, Consumer Reports did a test and they pronounced it acceptable. Some smartphones are easier to bend, some are more. But the amount of pressure they applied is more than Apple's test. This is the test process that they showed reporters at their laboratory at their Cupertino headquarters. And then, of course, we had Square Trade, the company that does all those extended warranties, They did a bendability test, very informal, where they actually had people in the office try to bend it, and the only person who could was somebody in the office who also could bench press 400 pounds. So I figured if anyone could do it, that person could do it, and he was the only one who succeeded. So the point being here is some are better, some are worse, but I think a lot of this is hype. Probably so. And people will get over it after a while, you know. You know, it's like we had antenna gate back with the iPhone 4 and people were just trying to force the issue by holding it that way. And eventually they either bought a bumper to overcome the problem or didn't worry about it. And so we didn't have much attention after a few weeks. So bend fever rather than bend gate or bend gate, the thing you put on your shoulders, bend fever is going to end eventually, I hope.
20: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, maybe Apple... Maybe some of the phones aren't as sturdy as they could be. Who knows about Apple's manufacturing process? But yeah, don't try to bend your phone. I mean, don't, don't anybody try to bend your phone because you might succeed. Uh, and the only phone that I've ever seen that was meant to be bent was the LG, LG G Flex that came out last year. And uh, other than bending a little bit because it was made with a flexible display, it, it wasn't a particularly great phone. So, yeah, that's a waste. But at the same time, there are some legitimate concerns about Apple's rollout of these new iPhones. We found some real problems with light metering on the camera. Sounds like early glitches with the
2: software, probably.
20: It probably is a software problem because it's probably an iOS 8 problem more so than an iPhone 6 problem because... Uh, we installed iOS 8 on some older iPhones on I think a 5S and the 5S had the same problem which is that things that were supposed to be red uh could might turn purple if you stuck your light colored hand into the frame so it was metering to one object and not another object and that was screwing up the the color scheme so you had you know a a picture of some peppers and the peppers looked red in one picture where there's no hand in it and they looked a little bit bluish and purplish in another picture where someone stuck their hand in the frame so it's uh that's not a that's not a great feature to have uh hopefully apple fixes that through software apparently there were some earlier ios's that also had a little bit of a light metering problem so um this is really nothing new did you test this with the
2: 8.0.2 update
20: I believe I believe so, yes. That didn't change anything with the camera. But, you know, we, we've told Apple about the problem. They said they're looking into it. We've documented it on tomsguide.com. And, uh, you know, ho- hopefully they'll fix it. Otherwise, to be fair, the iPhone 6 Plus in particular has a pretty good camera uh, with its optical image stabilization uh, and its slow-mo mode.
2: Well, if Apple says they're looking into it, you can bet that there's going to be an iOS update that's going to fix it.
20: I hope so. They told us they're looking into it. They didn't issue like a public statement. Hey, we're, you know,
2: we admit there's a problem. So they never do that unless it's a very serious problem. It's like, for example, the 8.0.1 update that was out for what like an hour, hour and 15 minutes or something that they had to apologize for because it really caused havoc. We went into that already. I'm not going to go back to it. We'll have to see. But that goes back to what Kirk McElhern was saying in the first part of the show, that maybe Apple is getting so much stuff out that they've got to take a breather here. And maybe it's because the media and the financial analysts are pushing and pushing and saying Apple is not innovating enough, and they overcompensated. you get that impression at all? I'd
20: like to have Apple psychological problems. Uh, (laughs) You could have a company that's extremely profitable. That has, a, that has a cult following, probably one of the most valuable brands, the most respected brands on earth. Yes, there are people who are skeptical or Apple skeptics, but, I mean, they have such a hardcore uh, fan base. The brand always stands for quality, if nothing else. So I don't think they're coming out with too many things. I and mean, What's too many things? They've come out with two iPhones and announced a watch that they haven't come out with yet. If that's too
2: much for them, then I feel really sorry for them. Yes, but but they also had two operating system upgrades. And they're doing this every year. So, for example, we have Windows 10, and we'll talk about it a bit later. It's coming out in 2015. So Windows 8, the predecessor, came out in 2012. That's three years except for the 8.1 update. So Apple's doing these things every year. Microsoft takes three years. Granted, Microsoft is not building it for a dozen models they're building it for you know 10,000 models or something so it's a more difficult process but still Apple's doing a lot from the software front
20: that's fair to say but if they can't do it properly then they shouldn't deliver it i mean how much testing would they have needed to make to to find the bug
2: well it might be there was a flaw in the testing process and that might be it there's a story which you may have heard we're not going to confirm it at the fellow in charge of testing the iOS product was the same person originally in charge of testing the maps when we had the map problem a couple of years ago. So I don't know, but you see, you hear things like that and you wonder, okay, they gave this guy a second chance. Maybe he's writing his resume right now because I don't think Tim Cook's going to give him a third chance.
20: I honestly don't think that.
2: uh, I think that story is too good good to be true. (laughs) Maybe it is. I don't pretend to know but we'll have to see what happens. In any case, coming up in our next segment, we're going to look at what went wrong with Windows 8 and 8.1 and what Microsoft is trying to do to fix it. And by the way, there is a technical preview out there now. If you sign up with Microsoft, you can download this kind of early beta of Windows 10, which I'm going to do because I'm crazy and I have no better sense. I'm going to do that probably this weekend and report back to you. And therefore, you'll get my reaction about it. But we'll also see what Avram Pilch thinks. That's Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com. Also Tom's Guide. So he's a busy bee. And we've got more to hear
11: from
9: him on the Tech Night Out Live. You're listening to GCN, proudly sponsored by UnseenNow.com. Lock down your digital life at UnseenNow.com. This is
5: GCN. Next to water and food, you need a safe, storable fuel supply for your preparedness needs. Spare fuel is the answer. Spare fuel can be used in any gas-powered vehicle or generator. Spare fuel is perfect for any unforeseen out-of-gas emergencies. Unlike gasoline, spare fuel is safe to store with your other supplies, and it can be stored for many years. Go to GetSpareFuel.com for special pricing. That's GetSpareFuel.com.
8: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
2: The Tech Night Owl Live now goes to Windows 10. Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. So before we go into Windows 10, what went wrong with Windows 8? How come Microsoft didn't see the problems?
20: It's like that old fable of the emperor who has no clothes, except there were a whole bunch of people telling Microsoft that the emperor had no clothes, but maybe nobody within the company was saying it. I don't know. I don't work there, so perhaps everybody was saying it. But it's a classic example of, I don't know, groupthink. I can imagine that somebody in a high position of power there decided, hey, We're going to do touch. People say we can't do touch. We'll show them. So they came up with this Metro, Modern, Immersive. Those are all three different names. UI with the live tiles and the charms menu and all that stuff. And they said, we're going to force the market. We're going to show people that we really are serious about this. We're gonna replace our desktop, which has been the win- desktop and Windows have been the win- have been the sort of the metaphor. That's why it's called Windows since you know the 80s. I mean the start menu came in Windows ninety five and nineteen ninety five, but they really with their Windows 8 UI kind of minimalized uh the desktop that didn't get rid of it you could still get to it but it was an app the desktop itself was an app uh living in the modern ui well not surprisingly people didn't like it and people and you know those of us who covered the operating system could see the problem from the first build that they took the start menu away which is you know which is something that people like and it's not just that it's Familiar. It's useful. The problem that Microsoft had with Windows 8 is that they they interpret uh, touch to mean minimalist design. Let's hide everything. Let's you know it's like having a really nice clean desk where you throw everything in a drawer and then have to look for it. the The charms menu, which has the settings and the Wi-Fi and the clock, hidden. You have to swipe for it. The power button in the original the the way to shut down. 4 taps away in the original Windows 8 got a little better in 8.1 but Microsoft's philosophy was we're going to keep it simple you know and unfortunately they underestimated their users they thought that they they thought that a everybody would just care about touch and that was great and they would show everybody and b that you know People would just adapt to this new UI. They would like the quote-unquote clean look. And look, it's nice and dumbed down for people. Uh, no problem. I remember the first time I took a briefing on it with a Microsoft exec. And I said, how are people going to learn how to use these charms menus? Because one of the biggest complaints, uh, and Jacob Nielsen, who's a usability expert, said said this. Right, uh, we have on the show. Yep. And I talked to his, uh, and I emailed with him, and talked to one of his uh, experts. Hidden navigation is bad. People don't want things hidden. Out of sight is out of mind. Well, Microsoft believed that hey, hidden is good. So what? So what they did? So I remember talking to one of their execs, and their execs, I said to them, how are, how are people going to find all this stuff? How are they going to discover it? Are you going to give them a big instruction manual, a tutorial video? How are you going to train people? And he said to me, "If I gave you an instruction manual, would you read it?" And I said, "No, because I like to figure things out." He said, "Well, everyone else is like you. They're going to figure it out. All you need to tell people is try swiping in from the cor- try swiping in from the corners, and they'll have a joy of discovery when they learn these things for them when they figure these things out for themselves.
2: Especially if they have a mouse-driven PC where you click." on that corner and you click and you try to find the place where the Charms menu displays and you're about to just give up on it and throw away the computer.
20: Yep. And the other thing that is little talked about with Windows 8 and 8.1, which perhaps bothers me the most, and Nielsen is the one who, who really highlighted this in his report on Windows 8, is the low information density. So you go into one of the modern apps, such as the bing news app or the you know or the windows mail app or whatever and you compare it with a similar app on android or ios or with you know a quote-unquote desktop windows app and you'll see that there's a lot less text on the screen the fonts are just big and clunky uh it's like duplo to legos or whatever so microsoft looked at the operating system and they they it was kind of insulting the intelligence of their of their users. I mean, Microsoft, you dissed your users because they what they were really saying is you don't, you know, only the bleeding edge of people, the geeky people like like me, you know, are the ones who need to multitask and want a lot of data on the screen at once. Let's make it for people who aren't highly computer literate. Well, first of all, people who aren't highly computer literate don't like hidden na- like hidden navigation the least. Uh, second of all, this is 2014 or back then 2012. People have been using PCs for since 1981. They've been using them for over 30 years. So people don't need to have an operating system made for the computer illiterate. They need an operating system you know, made for people who know what they're doing. So, you know, trying to kind of dumb it down for people, you know, make the settings and the settings menu so, so small. I mean, so, so few settings that you could do there, you know, that, that just didn't work making people, and then having people have to sort of switch screens or switch menus for everything that you do really, really annoying, and, and not just annoying, a cogn- what, what um, Nielsen's group calls a cognitive burden. You know, if you have the start menu on the screen, the start menu is overlaid on top of your work. So if I have Word open and I say, wow, I want to look something up in my web browser uh, to go with what I'm writing in Word, I go to the start menu, um, I find, you know, my web browser, I launch it, and the word is still on the screen. I've never left that environment. I remember what it is that I was supposed to do. Do. But what happens with the start screen in Windows 8 and 8.1 is you're transported to a whole other world where the window and what you were working on before has disappeared. Well, that's not workable. That's I mean, that's workable. People work with it, but it's it's a burden on your short-term memory. Hey, I was looking at this, now I'm looking at that. Oh, I see this live tile. I'm distracted. Um, And remember that the original version of Windows 8 only allowed you to have in the modern UI mode one application open at a time. You could have like a little other second app docked to the right where you could see some small piece of information like stock quotes. But for the touch environment, you couldn't. environment they wanted you to use, you
2: couldn't use more than one application at a time. Now, let me tell our listeners where I am right now so you understand the dichotomy. As we record this interview, I'm using three apps just for the interview and for the radio production. I've got Audio Hijack Pro to capture audio from Skype, which is also open. And then we have another application called Sound Studio used to edit the show. It's three apps already. We also use something called Amadeus Pro, which is sometimes also open. That's four apps. I also have Apple's Messages open, Apple Mail open, Net Newswire for RSS feeds, and also Safari, the web browser. So I have all these apps open. Now, if I go to Windows 8 and I want to do the equivalent with equivalent apps, I can't have them all open at the same time.
20: You could in the desktop mode, but that's not what they want you to do.
2: Right. The desktop mode is, of course, what we had before.
20: Exactly. By the way, there's another. What you're doing would also be impossible for another reason. The quote-unquote modern apps. You cannot have one app that that captures data from or controls another app. So you have an app that is recording audio from Skype. That that couldn't happen.
2: Okay. So <laughs> if I want to record audio from Skype. And Windows 8, you're basically telling me here that it's not a task I can do. I would have to go to the desktop layer and get some traditional Windows apps. Ah, the mind boggles. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at laptopmag.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live.
14: On Facebook, on the news, and in conversations with friends, we're bombarded every day with advice on how to be healthier. From gluten-free and non-GMO diets, to how much exercise and sleep the body needs. But how much have you heard about alkalizing the body? Alkavision Plasma pH drops are a holistic and natural way to get your body's pH levels back in balance. Just a few drops in water will help your body rid itself of harmful waste. And even the healthiest of diets can be complemented with your daily use of Alkavision Plasma pH drops. Who isn't looking for more vibrance, vigor, and energy? Now buy two bottles of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops and get $10 off your order. Visit Alcavision.com or call 800-518-7615. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops are packed with a powerful combination of the most alkaline minerals and compounds. Open the door to greater health, vitality, and zest for life. Alkalize your body, supercharge your health. Call 800-518-7615 or head to Alcavision.com.
13: limited number of free programs available call now 1-888-912-1595 1-888-912-1595 that's 1-888-912-1595 1-888-912-1595
8: we'd like to hear from you if you have any thoughts or comments about the tech night owl live please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. The long and short of it is, Avram Pilch,
2: that Microsoft basically restricted, reduced, functionality with a modern or Metro user interface.
20: It was the interface and it's also the SDK. So the apps that run what they call modern immersive apps, they couldn't even make up their mind because they, I don't understand how this multi-billion dollar company can keep taking trademarks from other companies, not not either fight it out in court or pay whatever licensing fee they have to. Uh, but then end up like confused about the names of their own products. I mean, that happened twice in the span of like a year. The user interface in Windows 8 was supposed to be called Metro UI, but then somebody else came along and said, no, you can't call it that because we have something called Metro. Well, Microsoft- Metro is like,
2: a chain of department stores in Germany.
20: I mean, that to me, that sounds ridiculous to even claim there would be confusion. The word Metro, like it's the New York Metro area. Do, do they have a claim to that too? How I'm about the sure. New York Metropolitans baseball team? But anyway, Microsoft, for some reason, backed down, didn't fight it out, didn't pay, it, pay them off. And then SkyDrive, which they had had for years as their cloud storage service, they couldn't call it that anymore because I think what uh, Sky and, and Britain claimed it. So it's, it's absolutely ridiculous that they didn't figure these things out before or work through them. But that's an
2: aside. Let me give you another aside before you go on. As we know, before Apple called the iPhone iPhone, Cisco had the iPhone. So, of course, what Apple did is they went to Cisco and said, here's a check. Now we can use the word iPhone, right? And they said, right.
20: Yeah, I don't understand why uh, Microsoft couldn't pay somebody off. I mean, in a similar fashion, it boggles the mind. It it, kind of gives you the idea that somebody in management just said, I'm not paying for this. It's not that important. But whatever. I mean, even today, I don't think you can get a straight answer from someone, Microsoft, about what the modern UI is or what the apps are. They're Windows Store apps. They're modern apps. They're immersive apps. They're modern style apps. Holy cow. Is Windows 10 a postmodern operating system? (laughs) The the modern uh, apps are for your protection sandboxed so that they can't control each other that means there's a whole slew of things that you that developers cannot do with them. You can't make an app that would say capture sound from within another app probably. You can't um, write a keyboard macro app that would you know that would would that would activate that would run in the background and let you hit a hotkey to to paste text or something. You can't write a screenshot program that would take, uh, that would screen capture the screen because it would have to be running in the background and be able to capture stuff from other programs. You can't write an automation app that would go and say, like, type something in Word for you or run a whole script of things like IT people like to do. So there's just a slew of things that in order in the name of security they've restricted you from doing uh, when i tried to make our battery tests we have a, a battery test at, at laptop mag on as a modern app i couldn't do it uh, for one thing uh, now i have a friend who tells me that this has changed recently but originally they didn't allow developers access to battery information so even though you could always do this in in old in regular desktop apps with modern UI apps, you could not get the battery level. You could not get the, whether it was on battery or AC, you couldn't get any of that information.
2: As a developer, your app couldn't couldn't get that information from the operating system. Let me bring up the Apple equivalent. You have sandboxing in OS 10 as well, but Apple does give you a restricted amount of privileges where Apps can get information from other apps. I expect that will be expanded because we have to see what they're doing in iOS 8 where you have extensions and you have ways for apps to interact within the restrictions of their sandboxing. So it's not a matter of just having this capability. It's managing it, Avram, in a way that makes it work for developers. We can get into that in another time. Okay. So let's talk about Windows 10. So Microsoft skips Windows 9. Is that because they wanted to put as much space between the Windows 8 failure as possible?
20: That can be the only reason. They want it to be 1.9 better than Windows 8.1.
2: Okay. They wanted to get more space. It's marketing. So... What do we see in Windows 10 that's new and unique? And let me tell you, looking at what I've seen so far, and you are far closer to this than I am, I'm kind of skeptical. I don't see things there that are particularly innovative. It looks like they're trying to make it Windows 7.5. Hmm.
20: They did add a few features. And for that reason, it's nice. What I think the best thing the best thing I can say about Windows 10 is that the philosophy behind it, Uh, seems like a good one. So Microsoft has been kind of playing with the idea for years that you would have one operating system for all of your devices. And obviously Apple doesn't do that. Apple has iOS for mobile devices and it has OS X for laptops and and PC and desktops. So um, Microsoft said, and we'll see if they deliver on this because they've said things like this before, that Windows Phone will now be Windows 10. Your phone will run it. Your tablet will run it. Your PC will run it. Your server will run it. And by that, I hope they mean that it will actually run pretty much the same code. And that when you write an app uh, as a developer, it will run on all of these things without recompiling it like now there's some tricks of the trade where you can sort of make a windows 8 app and then you can open it up again and recompile it and maybe it'll run on on windows on windows phone no no no. this supposedly will will run in all places but what developers will have the ability to do and really the obligation to do is to have the ui of their app adapt to the environment so if you're on a touch device here we're giving you big buttons to hit with your finger go onto the desktop put me in a window all of a sudden you get a bunch of smaller more menus with more information in them uh take me onto your phone i get smaller still because you know you're on a smaller screen so i think if they can pull that off uh that would be kind of the holy grail there but you know
2: we haven't seen them do it but that's that's what they're saying now i understand here about running in different environments, and we're talking about running different processors. But when you put all that code into an app, you get something called a fat app or something like that. And that makes it humongous, and you have these contradictory considerations. So, on a mobile device like a tablet or a smartphone, you've got to keep the app small, lean, and mean because they're working in a very restricted environment. With a Mac or a PC, you get a lot of memory, a lot of storage space except for the ones with solid-state drives, of course, you have much more resources with which to do things. So how do you put all this together in the same code base that's going to be efficient in an efficient environment, but be inefficient and grow to the computer? You'd make these humongous apps. You'd have to add more storage space on your phones and on your tablets. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm not a programmer. I, and I don't I, play one on TV, and I've got to understand how this is going to work, Avram Pilch. Let's figure out on the break. More to come on the
9: Tech Night Out Live. Great minds think alike. The network for the independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network. G-C-N.
7: Summertime is Save Big Time at Herbal Healer Academy. Long term customers know summer is the time to stock up at herbalhealer.com. And for new customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Log on for summer specials, including all sizes of colloidal silver, colloidal minerals, and intestinal freedom on sale. Choose from Herbal Healer's great variety of weight loss products like apple cider vinegar, hootia, and metabolic complex and pro-metabolic all on sale now. Also, the anti-parasite intestinal freedom and wormwood plus complex, plus stevia liquid sweetener and the super enzymes all on sale for summer at herbalhealer.com. As always, we offer certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on now to HerbalHealer.com and look for summer specials to save big with our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education. Since 1988, Herbal Healer Academy.
13: You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live With Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to
2: happen next. So we have these fat, integrated, universal apps that Microsoft is going to try to make under Windows 10. And everything's going to run on everything, I guess, to their best ability. A holy grail. In the real world, Avram Pilch... How is that possible right now?
20: I don't think it's that big. I think that's actually going to if it works, it will be it will be really good. But I don't think it's going to be that much of a problem for in terms of storage space. Right now if you think about it if you think about it, it's really analogous to the wet to a website. If you go to a website on your phone, you very often get the mobile version of the site, which has less navigation, maybe it doesn't have two columns. It's designed to be to fit better on a smaller screen. You go on your tablet, maybe you see a little bit more information, but not as much as on your computer. In in the web design world, we call that a responsive design. Right. So Microsoft's just taking that concept. And applying it to locally stored apps. And I think that's fine. And the best thing about it, which I hope will be true, but maybe I'm just dreaming here, is that the, maybe the user will get some control over this. So, you know, you so instead of the developer and Microsoft dictating um, hey, you have to have this smaller navigate this lesser navigation when you're on a tablet. Maybe the user says, okay, you know what? I have small fingers. Give give me the desktop menus. And they can do that. One of the really cool, well, I wouldn't say really cool, really interesting features uh, that I discovered in Windows 10 just yesterday, because I downloaded the preview and I've installed it on a bunch of things is um, even though Microsoft said as said that they're getting rid of the start screen and that that whole modern UI thing is going, although they have said they're going to have a touch mode um, for touch devices. Well, if you install the preview, the Windows 10 preview on a tablet, you don't get the new start menu. You get the old start screen. If you install it on a PC, you get the start menu. Hey, that sound doesn't sound so bad, but it doesn't sound so great. Then you go to the taskbar, you right click and select properties, and you have the choice to override what Microsoft chose for you. So if you're on a tablet and you want that start menu, you can have it. If you're on a PC and you want those giant tiles of the start screen, you can have it. Put the power in the user's hand. That is where Microsoft failed miserably with Windows 8 and 8.1. Is they decided to make decisions for the user. You know, my toddler has more uh, freedom of choice uh, than a lot of, than people had with their interface on Windows 8. Like you, you need to treat uh, your users with respect. Microsoft always did that in the past. If you wanted Windows 7 to look like Windows XP, you could do it. If you wanted to boot up to a command prompt and treat it like DOS and Windows 95, you could do it. So with Windows 8 was the first time that Microsoft said, even if you want things the old way, we're taking it away from you. And that is, why they, that is why they lost touch with their customers.
2: All right. Well, okay. So if the holy grail is reached, fine. We'll see what happens when it comes out and how well apps will work in different processor environments. I just don't see it, but then I might be dense. All right. The key features of Windows Ten, let's look at them for this next segment and a half. So we have a traditional start menu is back, but it has more customizations. Am I correct?
20: Uh, a little bit so for so, for example, uh, now it has it has live tile It has a right hand pane with live tiles on it. So if you liked the live tiles, if you like the live tiles that you have in Windows eight. Good news for you, you have them still, just a single, actually two columns of them on your start menu. And you can drag and drop any icon onto this sort of modern UI panel, if you will, on the start menu. And if it has live tile functionality, you will get the live tile updates on it. And if it doesn't, it'll just be a big tile. Um, But basically, it's the start screen in a panel on the start menu so you know it's i guess the best of both worlds uh the other thing you can do with the start menu is that you can resize it a little bit which you could never do before so you can uh drag the corners of it like a window and you can make it a little bit smaller and a little bit rectangular that's kind of interesting uh no no biggie and of course uh the the feature i use most in windows 7 and, and prior is the search and the one of the most annoying things about Windows 8 is if you want to search for an for for anything you have to open up that charms menu that slides out and then search for it in like a completely separate environment what I what I particularly like about the start menu everywhere in Windows 7 is You hit the start button. You have that little box, and you can, you know, I don't, I don't remember what folder I put, say, Word in, but I just start to type W O or whatever. There, Word appears on my list. Boom, I click it. That, I mean, so they brought that back, but they've added web results to that, so um, you can also type Laptop Mag, and you will see a link to our website. So uh, that's a nice little, nice little touch there. I bet a lot of this functionality is already available to people with Windows 8 if they uh, download you know download third-party start menu programs um, not sure if all of it is but quite a bit of it is probably is available with third-party start menus I particularly like start 8 uh, which is a five dollar uh, program not a free one uh, and I use that on, on my Windows 8 laptop uh, and with that on it it functions just like Windows 7.
2: So here, Microsoft is basically reverting. They're taking a start menu. They're adding some customization options, make it prettier. That's a start menu. Of course, we all have to applaud Microsoft for doing what they should have done anyway. That's why I said Windows 7.5. We've got this improved search screen. It's kind of like the spruced up spotlight with OS 10 Yosemite. It searches a lot more things locally and on the Internet. Right? Yeah, and
20: it, it, actually what it is, is it's the same search that was in Windows 8. They've just put it onto the start menu.
2: Okay, at least you can find it, which is good. Also, window management supposedly is better. I understand here that so-called Metro or modern apps will inhabit the features of a normal document window that you can open and close it and resize and all that?
20: Actually, yeah, not only that, but they have to. Um Oh, good. So even like we tried this on a Surface, Surface Pro yesterday at the office, the Surface Pro did get like, as I mentioned earlier, it did get a start screen. But when you tap on those, uh, when you tap on any of those tiles, that modern UI app opens on the desktop in a window. By default, it was opening full screen, but it's a window and you can resize it. Uh, And one of the things that Um, that they were really proud of that they showed me during a demo because I was at the San Francisco event is that the content of the modern UI app could change based on the size of the window. So if you have like the windows mail app, uh, if it's open wide enough, you see two panes, one with your inbox and one with the message you have open. But if you make it smaller then you only see the message, So, okay. I think these thing we've seen this kind of thing
2: before, but the iPhone six plus. You put the unit on its side and you open mail and you see the side by side panes kinda like with the iPad. And kind of like with the Samsung with Samsung phones. So sure. So basically they're giving you something you already have. But it's nice that Microsoft is adding to these capabilities. That of course is the new window management for modern Metro UI or whatever the heck they call it. Maybe they should call it the whatever the heck we're going to call it. All right. So Oh, there is no more.
0: There's no more modern.
2: Okay, let's get into more stuff in Windows 10. I want to talk about general Windows management, multiple desktops, and other things that also sound a little bit familiar, don't you think? We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. You go to laptopmag.com. We've got more to come talking Windows 10... On the Tech Night Out Live.
9: You're listening to GCN, proudly sponsored by unseennow.com. Lock down your digital life at unseennow.com. This is GCN.
2: Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting
23: A little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even if I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving.
13: live with gene steinberg it's the tech night owl because you never know what's going to happen next
2: on the tech night owl live we've got Avram Phillips of laptop magazine so the metro modern apps Seem to have normal document windows. That's good. Okay, so would you be able to start up in a desktop layer like you do with the older Windows, or what? What do
20: you mean? You you can't avoid
2: it. You start. There is no start... separation anymore, is what you're saying.
20: Yes, there's no separation anymore. Ah. There's no modern UI version of IE on there. The only thing that is different if you install it on a tablet or on or on a uh, PC or on a regular PC is do you have a start menu or do you have a start screen? But when you click those apps, they're running in a window no matter what. They're running on the desktop. Like I said, you you can decide whether you want the start menu or the start screen, but either way, you're on the desktop. Uh, one thing that they changed that I actually think is a really nice touch, not necessarily a groundbreaking touch, is they changed the way that AeroSnap I not mean, called arrow snap, I guess snap works. So one of the cool features of Windows, that Windows 7 introduced was that you can drag a window all the way to the left side or the right side, and it'll snap, and it'll take up 50% of the screen. Uh, and now they have something called snap fill, where let's say you have one window taking up like 30% of the screen, you snap a window to the other side, and it fills the entire space. That's kind of neat. They also have a feature called snap assist, where if you snap a window to one side and there's... No window open on the on the other side. Uh, it gives you a bunch of shortcuts to recently open apps, so you can just click it and it'll snap, rather than having to drag it over and rub it against the right side of the screen or or whatever. Uh, so they've improved that a little bit. The virtual desktops are a nice touch. It's something that people with with Linux have had for decades. I think is the ability to have uh, multiple virtual desktops. By the way, there, there are applications out there today for uh, Windows 8 and 7 that give you virtual desktops via third-party app. Of course, it's always nicer to have these things built into the operating system
2: for sure, but it's nothing that, that people haven't seen before. Sure, OS 10 has something called Spaces, which I use regularly. That's how I have my system set up, where I set up Spaces with one or multiple apps. So if I'm going to my audio space, which is not what I call it, which is the Skype space I see just the apps that relate to that particular task. If I go to Safari, it goes to another desktop where I am looking at just browsers. So the same thing, same thing. So Microsoft has made it part of the operating system. Anything else in terms of window management and such? Because it seems to be that's the big emphasis here in terms of in, Windows 10. In Microsoft's defense,
20: just to play Microsoft's advocate for one second, at the event Joe Belfiore, who's the VP of Operating Systems, said, we're not concentrating on showing you a lot of the features that are going to be in Windows 10. We're just showing you some of the basic things, which I interpret as they're hopefully working on some more major improvements and they just showed us a small taste of what's to come. Uh, The one thing that he showed us, which we already discussed, that they don't really have implemented is perhaps switching back and forth automatically between, uh, you know, touch and non-touch modes. So if you had a, a two-in-one like a Lenovo Yoga or something and you put it in tablet mode, you'd get the touch-friendly mode and all of your apps would adjust their interfaces. And then if you fold it open again and it's a laptop, then the apps would, would know and adjust. So uh, all that universal app stuff we were talking about could take place not, a, not just across different devices, but on the same device in different modes.
2: Now, other than the window management stuff and the fact that apps will take on more of the character of the hardware you're using, is there anything else that you saw in the initial group of specifications or features that seem significant?
20: Not really. No. I think the idea here is they're getting us out there. They're 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 very interested in taking feedback on it, at least so they say. And I will say this, I booted up Windows 10 today and it asked me how I liked the start menu on it and how it could be improved. So it does seem like you have a humbler Microsoft right now. I think they've been humbled by the response. I think they should have been humbled a
2: lot sooner. And I Like think- day one when the first beta of Windows 8 came out and people said, what the heck is this? And they didn't listen. Maybe it's maybe
20: it's the change of CEO. You know, Steve Ballmer was in charge when this came out. Uh, he's a strong personality. Maybe he said, uh, "Forget the critics." Now a new guy came in, Satya Nadella. I, he might be more of a pragmatist. He probably looks at the business and says, "Hey, people don't like this. Uh, we can't just stand on principle here. We got to give the people what they want." So sounds like Tim Cook with larger iPhones. Yeah, you got to give the people what they want. I mean, now that uh, Steve Jobs is no longer with us, there's a good chance that a lot of the things Steve Jobs said he would never do, like Steve Jobs as opposed to styluses. I, I bet you next year or the year after, you see a tablet or a phone from Apple that, that has a stylus. Well, you can still uh, buy a third-party stylus now. Yeah, but we, we don't need to get into this now, but having an active stylus... Uh, rather than one that's just basically a finger emulator that that tries to be like your finger. There's a big difference in quality. And of course, Apple could also support that by having a suite of pen-friendly apps like Samsung does.
2: So they can give maybe an SDK and let third parties figure it out if that's what people want. Yeah. Well, there's more opening up in iOS 8, obviously, because we now have the third-party keyboards and we have these extensions, the capability of adding capabilities to other apps. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. In any case, let's go back to Windows 10 very briefly because we have to go very soon. So you have this technical preview out now, which anybody can sign up for pretty much, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, I would recommend it. Don't use it on your primary PC. Like on my Mac, I'm going to use it under Parallels Desktop or something, under a virtual machine, because you don't want this to be your primary operating system. It's like those who get the public beta of OS 10 Yosemite. Yes, it's in golden master shape now, but you don't switch it over to your primary Mac. You got to be careful. If you're careful, you play with it and tell Microsoft what you think of Windows 10. We have a couple
20: of articles on Laptop Mag that explain exactly how to do that: how to either dual boot with Windows 10 between Windows 10 and your current Windows, or run it in a virtual machine window on your desktop, uh, which is what I'm doing right now
2: this way you get a chance Now they're talking about the second half of 2015 for the release
20: uh, Yeah that's what it sounds like I mean three, about a three year cadence right because second half of 2012 was second half of uh, 2012 was Windows 8 and second half of uh, 2009 was Windows 7. So yeah it's about their cadence.
2: Of course we are assuming that the development process will go properly that Microsoft will be able to keep their promises. And so we're thinking maybe like September, October or thereabouts, we'll have Windows 10 and we'll have to wonder what Microsoft is going to do about pricing. Some people said, well, maybe it'll be free. But remember, you know, with Apple, operating systems are not the profit centers. They're selling hardware. With Microsoft, other than Lumia phones and maybe three or four Surface tablets and the Xbox, they're selling operating systems and services. They can make it cheap. They can't make it free.
20: I would say they have to give it as a free upgrade to Windows 8 at this point, because People are going to, they're going to Osborne themselves to to use an old quote, and people are going to wait and not buy systems with Windows 8 so they can get ones with Windows 10. They're going to have to give it as a free upgrade, at least to people who buy anything with Windows 8 sometime soon. They're going to have to do that, I think. Remember that Microsoft makes most of its money off of licensing to OEMs. So, Even if they gave it away for free as an upgrade to existing PC users, all of the people who are buying new laptops, new desktops, new PCs, they would still be paying licensing for it built into the price. Avram Pilch, where can we find more of the stuff you do? So if you go to laptopmag.com or tomsguide.com, you can find uh, more of the things I do and my colleagues do, and you can find a lot of information about Windows 10, including how to set it up for yourself and dual boot it.
2: It's going to be fun, folks. Windows 10. You can find us over at Twitter. We're known as Tech Night Owl. We're Tech Night Owl at Twitter. If you go to technightowl.com, you get my daily blogs, weekly newsletters, and of course, access to shows going back to 2007, believe it or not. And we have another radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night at paracast.com. Paracast.com. This weekend, we're going to have Chris Aubeck. Who is someone who is exploring UFOs in antiquity through the ages? We're right here in the Tech Night Owl Live. Avram Pilch, thanks for joining us on the show. Always a pleasure.
11: The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.